Hello and welcome back to the Spiritual Psychology of Acting podcast. This week we have a very special treat for you as we welcome our first guest to the podcast, film and television actor Paul Blackthorne. Paul has appeared in a number of big American TV shows in the past, such as ER and 24, but you might know him more recently as Quentin Lance in the superhero series Arrow. Paul has also studied the spiritual psychology of acting back at the beginning of his career, where he first met John, and they've remained good friends ever since. Paul was kind enough to come to John's house in London to record the podcast, and we had a great conversation that you're going to love. So... Here it is, episode four, with the very funny and charismatic Paul Blackthorne. So you notice my body language at the beginning of this is very arms folded. Yeah, very we've got to break you. Very defensive. You, you are now have we to have to soften you, you up. So, that, so later on, I'm just like, oh, well, you know, the thing is, is like, you know, when that happened, I'll sort of get into that. <laughs> we'll get right, you talking. There you go. I'm crack you open. <laughs> So we're very excited to have our first guest on the Spiritual Psychology of Acting podcast, actor Paul Blackthorne. How are you doing today, Paul? I am very good. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you. Good, good. How are you? I'm very good. Yeah, thank you. Um, I'm well as well. Yeah, it doesn't matter oh, yes. you, Jordan. <laughs> Jordan and I are just trying to have a conversation. Okay, all right. Well, just the start of our bromance. Thank you very it's much. It's not all about me. No. You need <laughs> to observe your ego. Unfinished thinking. All right. I think a good place to start would be you and your relationship with acting. So when do you remember when you first wanted to be an actor? I never wanted to be an actor at any given stage. Um, the It just sort of kept happening. I was at a school. Um, I, I went to one good school in my youth. It was Abingdon School. And, um, you know, the summer play rolled around. And, of course, you go up and see if you can get some attention and get into it. And I did. And then um, that play, given it was put on by uh, the National Youth Music Theatre, they came to the school to put on the summer play. Um, we, I, I got a part in it and did the summer play. And then what they do, they take that production to the Edinburgh Festival. So in 1981 or whatever it was, I found myself one of the chosen ones from the school production to go off to the Edinburgh Festival. And um, it's quite interesting because in that production was Tom Hollander and um, Toby Jones. It was, they were at the school as well. So sort of illustrious company, as we would find out in years to come. Um, and then the next production of that was at the uh, Janetta Cochrane uh, Theatre um, in London in the West End, which is no longer there anymore, but certainly was in 1981 or two or whatever it was. And um, and so it was just all a bit of a laugh, really, going off, you know, doing the school play, going off to Edinburgh, being there for a month in, in, during the festival, um, and then running around the tube, at, you know, at Christmas time, setting off stink bombs and then sort of doing a bit of theatre in the evening and... You know, it all just sort of happened. So I guess I did that precocious sort of brat thing. And then just the school plays and such through the years. And then uh, you know, then you have to sort of get a job at some point, don't you, it seems, in life. And the acting didn't happen until much later. So did you train at all at drama school or anything like that? Did you have any kind of no, acting I, training? No, not at all. Um, just all the school stuff, <clears throat> which, of course, is no training, just sort of say the lines and sing the song. Um, and then um, years later, I was 
bumbling around basically i didn't really know what i was doing with my lot so i would sort of go off to various places around the world to sort of not know what i was doing interesting places as opposed to just sort of being in, in england in london uh, not that london's not an interesting place but at that time i was very familiar with it and wanted something different so off i went and um i remember being in new york when i was about 23 i was living there for a couple of years and Robert De Niro's acting coach was trying to persuade me to this woman I'd met through a woman. And she was, she, she said, you've got this thing. You really should get into acting. Why don't you come along to one of my classes? And I went very sort of awkwardly along to one of her classes. It was in the, it was still Hell's Kitchen then, um, in Midtown on the, uh, on the West side. And I was in some warehousey sort of environment, sort of dripping pipes and God knows what. And a bunch of people sat around in a circle. She said, you don't have to partake, you can just observe. Oh, yeah, okay. So I sat on the fringes and all I saw was people bursting into tears and crying their eyes out for about three hours. And afterwards she comes up to me, she goes, so do you want to do it then? I went, no, I don't, it looks dreadful. <laughs> a bunch of people sitting around bawling their eyes out. And literally just that was it. I had no interest. Um, but then other things popped up and other things popped up. It was always sort of, you know, sort of tickling at me from the side. And then I thought I would basically concentrate on a bit because it, it just kept coming up. And I was back in London by this stage. It's the mid nineties. And I went off to the actors center thinking, well, I knew I wasn't going to go to drama school at that stage. I'm in my mid twenties and I didn't have the resources or anything like that. So I thought, well, I'll go along to the actors center and common garden and, and, uh, you know, do a few of those classes. And one week I was there doing this Meisner class. And I was there for five, it was a five-day course. And it was all very interesting um, what we were being taught. But in the break times, there was this strange gentleman who was offering these sort of pearls of wisdom. And I thought, actually, he's kind of vaguely more interesting than the class itself. And at the end of the week, I said to him, um, you want to get a beer or something at some point? And he turned around in full salesman mode. He said, well, actually, I'm a teacher myself, a bit more Stanislavski-based, but if you'd like to come along to my course, The Spiritual Psychology of Acting, handing me the brochure, uh, here's, here's, here's my number, et cetera. And I went, oh, okay. And joking aside, that's when the next two years, and that's when I really learned something about acting with this man here. I remember, actually, the I remember that class very well. It was a, it was a Meisner class. And I, I'd, um, I'd just come back from India, I'd been traveling in India and I thought, right, I'm going to do lots of different classes. And I was teaching uh, acting at the time. And I thought, well, Meisner, I want to find out about that. So I did the, the same as Paul. We did this five day Meisner class. And I remember the guy there, we, we, I, we did a scene from Glen Gary, Glen Ross. Oh, yeah. And he said to me, right, okay, so what I want you to, and it was a scene where in the film, it's where um, Jack Lemon comes in. And well, Jack Lemon's character, and he's just made a sale, and he's really happy about it. And he comes into the office and he says, "You know, I've just made a sale." And then the the, the, the director, the tutor, who had trained under Meisner in in New York, so we were getting, you know, what what Meisner himself was teaching. And he said, "Right, so what I want you to imagine now is that you've just had sex with Julia Roberts." And I went, "What? Why?" And he went, well, you know, then you'll then you'll be happy about the, the sale. And I said, well, can't I just be happy about the fact that I've made this sale? I've been struggling, you know, my, we can't pay our bills. And um, it's really good news because now we can pay our bills and I can take my wife out for dinner. And he went, oh, no, that's not what we do in the Meisner technique. So immediately I just thought this is a bit daft. It's like surely for an actor 
you want to actually create, you know, what's what's so amazing about acting is you get to use your imagination. You create get to create the circumstance of the character. But there was none of that. That's more substitution stuff, right? Exactly. That's yeah. substitution, which, which, you know, is something with the spiritual psychology of acting. I try and, uh, well, we avoid like the plague, basically, because I think it robs the actor of their creative imagination. Mm. But then, um, so this this fella here got up and he did a scene. And um, how do I say it politely? It it wasn't great. It's like he clearly he did. <laughs> it was fantastic, man. <laughs> I thought clearly here's a guy who doesn't he doesn't have a clue. I didn't what, have a clue what he's doing. And uh, so he did the scene, and everyone was like there, you know, scratching their chin. And the tutor said to me, John, what do you think? And I was like, oh, God, here we go. Right. How do I how do I put this to him in a polite way? And I said, um, I said, it seems to be that Paul thinks he has an obligation to entertain the audience. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember him looking at me like I was doing a juggling. <laughs> during the scene. He was riding <laughs> a up unis- down unis- on yeah. And uh, he has, has an ob- uh, obligation. And then I remember that you came up to me in the break and you you were like scratching your head like, well, isn't that what an actor does? You have to yeah. entertain the audience. Then I remember you came up to me in the break and said that that, that that you said that was very that was very interesting. And that's where our conversation yeah. began. Yeah. And that's how I always frame it as to be like, well, you're basically looking at what's in your psychology that's going to absolutely get in the way of honestly and truthfully portraying another psychology. And if you've got all the purposes of needing to entertain, to belong, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, whatever they all might be, obviously that's going to get in the way of portraying another psychology. So um, how can you combine the two? Absolutely. I went to a, see some actor friends performing in a play a few few weeks ago. And um, and the, the play was fine, but, and, but, but you could just tell that the real event that the actors were under weren't the circumstances or the events of the character in, in within the play the event was my performance yeah and everything they're doing is they're they're just conscious of their performance because their purpose for going on stage for whatever reason is they want to do a good performance but it was exactly that that was tripping it up and making it sound so unreal it's almost worse than it's like worse than showing or holding back i think isn't it because if you've got that event of my performance, I, I see that all the time in actors where it's just like you can't. It's not like there's you're kind of halfway there, or it's being it's kind of being shoved down your throat. It's that it's almost like separating it, saying, "Oh, look how good I am as an actor." That you're believing this character. There's always that kind of disconnect, I think, in a way, isn't there? It makes it harder um, to watch. It's easier yeah. to watch this. There we go. <laughs> I've got another guest. Not thinking about the performance. Yes, and today's special guest yes. star is Daisy the cat. Daisy the cat. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's a, it's it's a really awkward thing to to um, to watch, isn't it? When you're you're seeing all those other purposes going going on that's got nothing to do with anything in the scene itself. Um, so was it that honesty that that kind of a, you know attracted you to John in the first place? That you know he had something to say. Of value, even if it was criticizing your performance. Yeah, well, I could, yeah, I could sense the sort of authentic, authenticity of it, and 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 you know, I could just sense that there was, yeah, that that, that was the case, and I, and and when you start digging in, as we did, 
Well, I remember the first time we sat down and you said, okay, we're going to close your eyes, close our eyes and meditate for a bit. And I think I opened them after about five minutes and I said, You're well, I'm sorry. Peeping. I was like, mate, I'm sorry. What's the point of this? I'm coming for the acting. So what's all, what's all this like spiritual stuff? And it's like, just, just calm down, calm down. And then, um, and, and, it takes a while for you then, as you do calm a little bit, listen to the voice of reason and, and wisdom, this guy, and start digging into your own psychology. Then you have what, I don't know if you still call them, but the, the mind quakes when you suddenly go, oh, oh, yeah, oh, I did do that. I do. do oh, that's why I'm doing that. Oh, God, Jesus, you know. And you have all those sort of realizations as to what's really exhaustingly pushing you through the day do you know what i mean because of the need to be approved of you know admired center of attention etc and 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 around that time i remember <laughs> i remember one time uh outside of a class but turning up to somebody's house one time and i was having to i was wearing a silly scarf and my thrift store hat and this and that and the whole hair and the hair and, that, and i was lighting up a fragrant cigarette in order to be a certain person and da, da 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 and I was just about to do it and knock on the door and I thought, bloody hell, this is exhausting. <laughs> God, if only I could just be myself. <laughs> you know, and that's what this course basically helped me to do. Because while you're sitting there keeping up this persona of what you think you should be in the world in order for the world to approve of you, yeah, it's, if, if there's a lot going on, uh, if the, it's it's going to take it takes its toll, and and I remember even through the years of acting, when I started sort of getting some good work in that in the states, I I still had an element of like you know have to be the class clown and such, and then I I got I booked another show which was, uh, was twenty four it was this big sort of deal at the time, and I remember turning up and thinking, do you know what I've got enough friends, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do the work. And I never made any attempt to belong or be approved of or anything. And they extended my um, episodic stay, gave me a completely um, un, uh, gave me a, a pay rise I wasn't even asking for, or nobody. And they were, and they just they could not get enough of me. And they sort of through became the main sort of character through this season. And I thought, well, that was interesting. Oh yeah, I wasn't actually trying to that was do a anything. Joy to see, actually, I saw that you were really good in that. And, and, you know, going back to when you were um, after that conversation, you were really disciplined because you came for a private class every week. At that time? Yeah. You used to come every week to my house. In, I was living in Stretton. Oh, the time. Yeah. Not, yeah. So I think my dream. No, not no, during not 24. Yeah. Oh, no, no. That's what you we did two years. Every week for two years, you came for a private session. I did the one on one. For the first year, mm -hmm. when we put on, um, we just did a little scene, just literally in the in the living room, didn't we? Um, just, but then in the second year, it was the group class, wasn't you it? Join the group. Join the group it? class, yeah. and the group classes are so interesting because I remember you sit around them, and then somebody's, you know, regaling you the class with. Well, the thing is, you know, when I was younger, and, and so I had that, and I had this, and with absolute all respect, you know, you 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 listen to that, you observe that. And, and they're getting into their purposes as a result of their self-events and da 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 And you sort of sit there and you go, oh, just, just let it go, mate. Just don't worry about it. Let it go. And then someone turns the same, turns around and says the same thing to you. And you're like, no, 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 but my stuff's different, mate. My stuff's, no, I, no, you don't understand. My, my stuff, you know, I, I, I've got to hold on to that. And, and it's interesting seeing everybody's stuff 
and how it is just stuff that's all dreamed up in the imagination and just, well, obviously, potentially through real events and things that have happened in your life, but then how we sort of live by it for the rest of our lives. How we live by the story of our stories. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You just you just create this idea in your mind very subconsciously, and then you very consciously have to go back in there, break it all down, so you don't have to sit there trying to offset the thing that you think of yourself that you don't even know you think of yourself in order to try and supposedly get through life, you know, being approved of. But that that's really that important part. Of it. Absolutely, and it's a really important part of it is when when the student shares. Yeah, their real experience, and then we, then I help them to, uh, you know, find out what the patterns of thinking and name the patterns of thinking that are operating. Everybody learns. Yeah. So the group classes were, were brilliant because you just see so when you see it in everybody else, it it really gives you some perspective on your own and how you know beneficial it might be to sort of just just quietly letting go of it as best one can, as you can see it would benefit others. So. And then, you know, putting on the, the class, putting on the scene and, yeah, and just that sort of, that feeling of working, you know. Together I remember you used to give yourself quite a hard time. Uh, the, when when he would, like, he'd be working on the scene and he'd, he'd uh, we, we'd program the characters thinking, and it was like, okay, right, right, so action, just have a go at it. And then he'd, he'd make a mistake, this was in the early days, and he'd literally go and headbutt the wall and go, you idiot! headbutt the wall and I remember saying to him it's like for God's sake Paul it's like watching John Cleese on acid (laughs) (laughs) I thought you said that I thought you said that was what I was like when I first walked into your class it was like John Cleese on acid here we go now I've got to train John Cleese on acid yeah Yeah, good luck (laughs) Um, no with that well because then you move into different sort of purposes don't you you create new attachments in your mind okay i'm not going to be the bloke that needs all the center of attention uh i'm just going to be a great actor instead yeah. and then when you're suddenly not a great actor because you've stumbled over something quite naturally um then your new purpose or your new attachment is you know is, is hence head butting the wall you know and thought an off, an idiot. Yeah, yeah found an obstacle and <laughs> yeah so um you don't still do that though on set what happens on set when when you make a mistake now won't um well, I no, I'm I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it. Um, though I do just think uh, I get, I'm just sort of, you sort of get into it. Um, no, I I remember one scene, which was a big sort of emotional scene in a, a show I did for a long time called Arrow, and there was lots of emotional scenes in there, and I just used to get worked up for them and do all my homework and get all the pictures and everything. But there was one particular scene, and I know I didn't nail it, and and it was one of those nighttime shots. And I did go back to my trailer, and I'm not saying I headbutted the trailer, but I I definitely flipped my lid a bit because I knew I hadn't. So you know, again, still, but it's that fine line of actually wanting to do the best for the good of all, and but then how much of that is just sort of your ego nonsense? Do you know what I mean? That that's that's the thing, isn't yeah. it? Is that's the balance of it? Because I know f- for a fact that with my ego with as i observe my ego over these there's definitely still elements of you know wanting to be approved of and such but i think as long as you're able to observe it then you're not as attached to it do you know what i mean but it's still going to creep creep around at times in you know some conscious place times in your life and less conscious times and whatnot so again i kind of like i i forgive myself now more 
easily that, that's the key isn't not it? being it's, the it's perfect human as an actor it's like you know you're bound to make mistakes but it's that sort of radical instantaneous forgiveness yeah. So you're not getting stuck in that. And I find if you're struggling and it keeps going, no, cut, all right, let's try that again. Okay, and action, then you do it and it's the same mistake. Just to pause, take a deep breath, just let everything go, re- reset the balance, as it were, and then just start again. And then it starts to flow again. Yeah, um, yeah, it's, the, uh, it's just coming back into your senses, literally, isn't it? And and also, you know, when you think of presence, when people say, oh, that person's got great presence, great screen presence. Well, there it is. It's in the word, present. They're present. And when you're getting yourself in a pickle like that and it's take three, four, five, whatever it might be, and you haven't got it, and there's all the cogs are flying around and you're just trying to get into the moment and all the rest of it, and, you know, it's just not going to happen. So your job at that point is to just let it all go and to get back into your senses, to become present again, you know, I mean, I do the whole feet, feel my feet on the floor, feel my my nether region, so to speak. Uh, just you just feel those parts of your body, not with your hands. Don't want to do that. That might you can be if you want, yeah. <laughs> but you take that deep breath into the depths of your body. Do you know what I mean? And mm. and then and just look around, just listen, and then the. I mean, people say, oh, how do you get into the moment in acting? And as long as the ego, as long as you're, you, the tail of the ego isn't wagging the body and all that stuff, as long as you're in the place and you're, you're on top of everything we're talking about now, it's so simple getting into the moment. Because if you're in a scene with somebody, all you have to do is listen to them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's all you have to do. If it's a big, long monologue, then okay, you've got to, you know, fill your balls and all that sort of stuff and find your way into, the, into your senses. But... All you have to do to get into the moment, that big elusive thing that they talk about in acting and da da da, is just listen to what anybody else is saying in the scene. And that's it. And then you get spontaneous, actual, proper, reactive words coming out of your mind because you've done all your homework. Now you've got all you've got to do is, well, the three things relax, listen, enjoy. And if if you've done your homework, you know what's going on, you're not going to get caught out by anything on the day. That, yeah. that last breath, relax, listen, and just enjoy it. Even if the character's suffering, enjoy it. Yeah, that. no, that's you can the enjoy the process. Yeah. That's one of the, one of the useful things that that um that I'm in agreement that with 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 Meisner is that he said that what happens to you depends on the other fellow. Yeah. Um, which is basically put your attention to get but they but there's a lack of character creation. You have to first of all create the character, create you know the, the mind of the character. So it's not you responding; it's the character responding. It's the, you're, you're, or at least it's you with the character's thinking responding to um, whatever's going on there, which is not too dissimilar to the head of um, Alra. When I went to Alra, Sorrel Carson, uh, her great motto was um, "Acting is reacting, darling." And we used to laugh. It's like, is is that all you've got? You know, this is, is that your whole acting philosophy? Acting is reacting. But there's a lot in it, actually. Well, I'd say the acting is reacting. Sorry to interrupt. Is is it's almost like that's like the cherry on the cake, or maybe the icing on the cake. You know what I mean? That is the last thing. That is the the last little bit that you do in yes. the process. You make the cake at home, 
all, I mean, uh, the more, the one of my, like, I don't know if you taught me this or if it's just something to come out of the years, but the more you know about the character, the less you have to act, right? So mm -hmm. as long as you know every skeletal, bone, you know, bone marrow, flesh, blood, as long as you psychological makeup, everything that character's ever done, everything as to how it pertains to the story you're telling and the scene you're in, if you've got all that stuff down, to be honest, and the purposes and working out, well, what do you want from this scene and all the rest of it, or the people in the scene, et cetera, et cetera. All you then have to do is put the cherry on top and do a bit of listening when you get there and the yeah. rest will take care of itself. That's it. And but you have to make the cake at home. That's And making the cake is asking yourself questions about yeah, exactly. the character. Yeah. You know, that's the work. Because when you ask yourself a question, you know, what does this character have for breakfast? Or what is this character's, you know, secret desire? As soon as you ask the question, something arises in the mind. You start, you get an answer to it. Yeah. And you get, and if you can create that in pictures and actual thoughts and relate it to, you know, created experiences for the character, then by the time you get on set, you've got quite a, you've got a lot of information there. 100% that you can just come into the moment and just let those things work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I saw one of the questions that you were going to mention, Jordan, and um, um, this I'm sort of answering it before you've asked it, but along the lines of what we're talking about in terms of keeping up the inspiration for the character, um, when I did Arrow, I mean, I was on it for six, over a period of eight years, six of which were concentrated and in some ways, you're thinking, God, how do you keep up the inspiration for something like that over a period of time? But with TV, it's actually quite interesting because the characters, all aspects of the characters are being explored, um, given the longevity of the story. If you take a, a, a film or a play, your act three structure, and you're going to have your goodies, your baddies, your love interests, go off into the sunset. There we go. Job done. With the, um, <laughs> there it is, story. Um, a bit of a sort of a moment in the desert in the middle of somewhere, but you come out and save the world and she comes along with you. Anyway, so, um, but with, the great thing about um, TV stuff is that they start, they get into season three, four, they're like, God blimey, we're going to have to explore lots of different aspects of character. So you get that opportunity to do that. And what I used to do with Arrow, I had, we were shot in Vancouver and I would, I had, I would drive around Vancouver looking for what felt like the house um, that he grew up in. And I would go to that neighborhood and I'd be like that. And I'd walk around and be like, no, that's the house he grew up in. And they'd be like, well, where did his granddad live? Who was his hero? That's, that was his place. And what about the house that I grew up with, with the daughters? Right. And I'd be like, okay, where, where was the family house? And I would go, and find that. And whenever I had big old scenes coming up to get the pictures going, I'd spend my Sundays literally wandering around these neighbors. And I just would be staring at these houses and imagining when they first came out at their birthday, the eighth birthday, and when she tripped up, when she came out the stairs, when she came down the stairs and that swing. I remember when we put the swing up, it came down the first time somebody sat on it, blah, 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 blah. And, and just constantly going through pictures, 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 pictures to create that cake, you know what I mean? And then by the time you turn up on set on the Monday morning and they say, your daughter's dead, you just go, oh, I'm leaving you burst into tears. Mm. You could work. So you, it's, we call that creating affinities. Yeah. So you create all the affinities through asking all those questions. Yeah. And by the way, you're not trying to burst into tears or you're not trying to have any kind of reaction. Yeah. In one scene, I just fell over. In one scene when they said, oh, your daughter's dead, I just fell over. 
and I had no idea I was going to fall over. It just, I just slipped out. I just like crumpled. And that was that was there was one that that I helped you with. There was one I think it was I think it might be that, that one. one. Yeah, I think it might have been because I was because I knew it was a big scene, like seeing your daughter dead and all the rest of it. I thought, yeah. oh god, my ego is going to go to town on this one. So I did a little emergency hotline call, and then and then I got back in. John sort of put me straight on that, and then um, what 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 do you think you would have said? Well, to, to do just what you said, to create those affinities, to create the, the relationship with the different things. So then there would be a sense of loss when you found out that she was dead. I remember actually you you sent me, after it had aired, you sent me a thread on social media of people saying, you know, saying, oh, this was the result. And people going, oh, that was great work last night. That was, uh, really enjoyed the episode. Did I really night. do that? Yeah. No, you, you, yeah, you just shared it, but you just said that, you know, it, it worked, what we were doing. No, no it, was, it was for the purpose of, uh, yeah, the, the, the inside sort of chat, yeah. Yeah, oh, you you didn't share it publicly, you just said... Oh, I put it all over social media. Share. Oh, yeah, I shared it uh, every day for about a month. You looked at it daily. I've got to get some approval somewhere. Um, <laughs> so that, that, must have been, that must be a real joy then for you, then, like you say, the writers themselves were fueling, were kind of giving you more... In, tasty ingredients for that cake it was they were giving you so much more to play with i guess one of the reasons i was asking it was because the longest i've ever played a character is about a month run at the fringe and that's a single one hour play that you know doesn't really change over the course of the month have you ever done anything which is kind of you having to stick with the same character in the same you know you're not really given much other kind of wiggle room to play with and really enrich that character have you ever done anything where you have to really work hard to plump up those pictures again? Um, well, the, I haven't done theatre for years. I mean, 17, 18 years or something. I just found myself in the world of sort of mainstream American television. And the thing I kind of love about it is that it's so fast moving. It's you're, you're shooting an episode in eight days. You're shooting six, you know, six, seven minutes a day. You're, you're shooting scenes in three hours. And when it comes to it, you've got to get that cake made at home. And by the time you get on set, it's you got two, three takes. If you take four, then you're like, you know, you're getting a little bit in the wrong place. You know what I mean? It's like you gotta be, it's like take one, one or take one or two. Take three, yeah, okay, we can do it again. Take four, you know, you're getting a bit of shuffling going on. So um, I haven't experienced what you're talking about in a sense of keep padding it up, keep padding it up. I remember when I did that play suddenly last summer in Nottingham, you know, I'll I, 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 I tell you what, I'll be honest with you. I kind of hate theatre. <laughs> I really do. Because I remember when we did suddenly last summer, and as you've experienced, you know, doing it for a month, and to go out there, to me, this is theatre, right? You you wake up in the morning. Can I swear or not? You can say whatever you like. You shit yourself. You wake up, you shit yourself, right? You go, oh, Jesus, God, I've got to do the play tonight. But no, that's not going to be a problem. I'll do all my pictures and I'll do all my affinities and I'll do all my homework and all the rest of it. And you just, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. But you're so nervous because it's happening tonight at seven o'clock. It's just, you know, this, 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 um, it's, it's just, you're doing the best you can. And then you get nervous as hell, as well you should, leading up to the point of performance. And then you do the performance, which is the only respite in the whole 24 hours of the day. Because for an hour and a half, you're like, 
hopefully you know you're enjoying yourself and it happens and it's like oh that was kind of fun and then afterwards of course there's that moment of like oh well, aren't we all fabulous darling hugs and kisses and you know martinis in the reception and all the rest of it and then you sort of go to bed and you go oh god and then you wake up and shit yourself again and i with my raging ego and how i've had to try and temper it over the years I always feel like in TV, even if it's only three takes, I've got two safety nets, right? Whereas on on stage, and this is why I take my hat off so much to theatre actors that can nail it on stage, because to do that on stage with no safety net and a million, you know, and 300 people watching you right there and then is, you know, that's something else to me. I, I, I've, I don't have a comfort with that. Well, maybe you should do more of it. Uh, do you know what? And I've thought that. I mean, like, maybe I should actually push myself out there, but I and and, and push that. But I, I do actually have an idea. We can talk about. I'm, I'm literally nervous already. Just you what, saying just that because you're going to push me. No, but it'd be good. I, you can face I those actually, fears, Paul. I do have a play. Obviously, your ego's still there. Know, we need to work on your unfinished thinking. I can see it all coming. No, I just and I the fact, and the more I run away from it, the more unfinished thinking I've clearly got. I'm not the person that should be doing this podcast. <laughs> I'm scared of theatre, and I've got lots of unfinished thinking. You know, I've done everybody. Wait for the next bloke. They'll work, they'll make out they're perfect. But, yeah, but once you, with theatre though, once you've kind of you've cracked it, then it's just a joy each night going on and just you know discovering more. And just making it slightly better each night, yeah, bringing more affinities to it. But what? But you know, it's that it's up to the point where you know that you've cracked it, where it's like, yeah, the characters come together. It's what we call the melting point, where all the different thoughts of the character you've been working on, all the different affinities that you've been working on, where you know you perform it a few times, and then they all stick together. I liken it to like when you're when you're making a stew. The first thing you do is you select. The vegetables and the what whatever you're going to put in the stew and then you prepare them you chop them up and then that's the first part is selecting the objects of attention of the character what were the ingredients and if you and if you change the ingredients you're going to get a different stew at the end of it and then the second part is where you put all those ingredients into the slow cooker the mind and you sleep on it and you let the mind synthesize all those things and it cooks and it turns it into a stew. And now all the different flavors of the vegetables, or they all infuse upon each other and it becomes one thing, a stew. And it's much like that in acting. Oh, sorry, we've turned into a cooking show now. Is that what's going on? <laughs> we'll, do, we'll leave the recipe at the we're end of the spot. We're branching out. <laughs> Well, it's the, an analogy. Oh, it's an analogy. It's an analogy. Sorry, yes. I, I sorry. Um, and a very uh, brilliant one too. But um, can I just ask you a question? Me? Yeah. So I, as an actor, and having been in New York, London, even Los Angeles over the years, I've made huge. You know, I, I go to the theatre. I'm a theatre-going person. And let's say if I've seen. I don't know how many I've seen. Let's say I've seen 400 plays, right? Um, Broadway stuff, West End stuff. Um, there isn't really a term for it in LA. Um, I think I've seen five good plays. I think I've seen maybe five truly great, magnificent, never-to-be-forgotten-till-I-drop-dead performances. Maybe five to ten plays that I would sort of, you know, bang on about. Um, but 
the percentage is so little, isn't it? With when you go on stage, most of the time you're seeing a regurgitation because it is a month after they first started. It is the six month, whatever it might be. It becomes mechanical. I mean, what is your experience of that? I know for your your actors, you see something dynamic, but what would you do if you were <laughs> directing something that was in its fourth, fifth, sixth month or whatever to avoid, you know, the dirge? Well, you, you have to teach the actors how to put themselves in a state of inspiration each night. It's the re- professional responsibility of the actor to be in a state of inspiration every time you go on stage or every time the director says action. But in a long run... It starts with each morning, what you need to do is to, when you wake up, is to reset the purpose for going on stage and say to yourself, tonight, when I go on stage, I'm going to relax, come into the present and really enjoy the performance. And then during the course of the day, you have to start thinking the character's thoughts and building it up. So by the time you go on stage, you're inspired and ready to go. Basically, it's putting yourself in a positive state of inspiration. But if you become complacent, then all the characters' thoughts just shrink. Because you think for for human beings to evolve, we've had to be able to let our thoughts shrink or sink into our subconscious to make space for new thoughts. And so what the mind does is it takes a thought and it processes it and it shrinks it. Uh, It makes it sink into the subconscious. And of course, the mind will do that with the character's thoughts as well. So they shrink back into the subconscious. So you have to, the things like they're important, like the character's event. Like, so in the beginning of Killer Joe, um, the character of Chris, he's under the event being killed, right? And so... Their big thoughts, he's just met uh, the gangster uh, Digger Soames in the um, car park and Digger Soames has said, told him what he's going to do to him. And he, and, and in, for an actor, if you create, you make it really visceral that, you know, Digger Soames has said that, you know, I'm going to, first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to get a baseball bat, I'm going to smash your knees, then I'm going to get a standing knife, I'm going to cut your ball sack open, and then I'm going to piss all over you, and then I'm going to put you in a shallow grave, and then we're all going to piss on you, and we're going to bury you alive. Right, you've yeah, created... Keep going, love, keep going. Keep going. <laughs> oh, oh, then what? <laughs> Sorry, so you create something point. really... I said that because it was creating something really visceral. For the actor, though, you know, they start just getting into their performance and they're, you know, everyone's telling them how marvellous they are in the evening and and all this. And so all those thoughts shrink away. But professional acting is when you can resurrect those thoughts every night. So you have to build them up during the day. It's a little bit like when when you're you're acting, you're creating uh, an analogy I use is that it's like domino toppling that you're selecting the, the the character's thoughts. So now I've got a two and a six. Now I've got a six and a four. Now I've got a, a double three. Now I've got, they're all different thoughts. Mm-hmm. And then when you go, you lining them up in that you're, when you're rehearsing, you're creating what are the thoughts behind the lines. And then when you go on stage, it's rather like you topple the first one and then they go, and they activate the next thought, the next thought, the next thought, the next thought. But then of course, when you go to do it the next night, if you haven't reset the dominoes, mm. 
they've already begun to shrink and sink into your subconscious. So basically, your preparation is resetting the dominoes each night, going over the pictures during the course of the day and resurrecting it. That's how you maintain the gift of the wings of Apollo as an actor. And that, of course, is a challenge when it's those you're looking for different ways for, let's say, six months each day to resurrect those thoughts. Right, Your imagination is going to be pretty super duper. Yeah. Right. I think when you think about that compared to the experience I've had with uh, uh, primarily American television, as I said, you know, you build up, you know, or for any kind of filming, you build up to doing that scene. The scene's done. It's in the can. You never have to say it ever again. It's no. gone. Yeah. So as long as you've done that work, essentially once leading up to each scene, you don't have to go into that mode. And it's you know, it's like I always think it's a bit like driving. Really, you know, there's lots. Driving is driving, but you've got you know Formula One driving, you've got rally driving, you know, and there's theatre acting and there's film acting, and it's the same thing, but very very different, isn't it? And it, it you, you have to be very aware of, the, of what you need to do for each for each for each one. Yeah, they're they're, they're slightly different things, but I mean, it's essentially the same technique. You know, acting technique well, is thinking the thoughts of the character. And yeah, yeah, that's you know that's you know it's the conscious use of usually unaware processes of thought would be the technique and whether that's stage or screen it's the same thing but it's just that the way you prepare it if, if you're doing a run as an actor that's a slightly different discipline than if you if you get to you, you just turn up and you do it you know you get five takes or whatever and you get it through that and also you know it's a lot easier in some ways the, the screen acting in that way because you do get those five you know, I, I've directed a film and in the film, one of the actors' performances was a bit ropey in most of the takes. It wasn't what, I'd, you know, what I'd asked him to do. He was an inexper inexperienced actor and it was a little bit ropey, but we were able to just take a bit of that take that worked, a bit of that take and put together mm. what in the finished film oh. looks like a really good performance. Oh, yeah. Editors have saved actors' backsides since time began. I mean, yeah. Yeah, as a director as well, obviously. But um, have you... I'd, I've, I'm done. Can you go now, please? I'll, 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 Thank you. I'll take it over here. No, I mean, this is the thing. It, this whole thing, it's full of these weird dichotomies, isn't it? Because everything you're saying is absolutely true, but one of those things, you know, with uh, with screen acting is, you know, the classic, oh, we did that rain dance thing years ago, didn't we? And it was the guy, you know, down in the basement in Soho. Yeah. Sopping, sopping wet, damp basement somewhere on Sunday yes. mornings. And the guy was doing in you know, a screen acting. He'd written a book. Tucker, Patrick Tucker. Patrick Tucker, yeah. Yes. And oh, yeah. No, I, I, yeah, I know him. Yeah, I've got yeah. his book. It yeah. was it was yes. great. It was great. It's like, you know, methods, you know, secrets of screen acting or something, wasn't it? Yes. And of course, yeah, yeah. Michael Caine is, is the classic that everybody uses, you know, they just do nothing and then, you know, be a blank canvas for the audience to portray their thoughts onto it as to what might be going on, et cetera, et cetera. But it, it's tricky stuff because if you don't actually have any thoughts going on, you've seen, I've seen actors doing that over the years when they're doing the classic less is more thing and they're doing this, they're going, and you can see they're thinking, yeah, less is more. That I'll do the Michael Caine thing. But you can see there's nothing fucking going on behind the eyes. Yeah. Whereas you could have somebody that's doing absolutely nothing, same thing, but you could see their world in turmoil at the same time. Yeah. Great example of that, by the way, is After Sun. That film, After Sun, Paul Mescal, Mes Mes is that how you say his name? Yeah, yeah. His performance 
is the best performance I've saw this year in the whole sort of, you know, crop of films. He mm. does nothing during the whole film and it's devastating. It's absolutely devastating. So my point being is that when you get into that screen world and you, let's say you ask somebody, you know, you, or you always ask the, the camera operator, you know, what, what, or the director who might be, what's the screen, what's the frame size? And he goes, oh, it's, it's head to foot, you know, it's a wide shot. And you go, okay. So in the wide shot, you go, oh, you know, man, what are you talking about? And then they go, okay, we're moving in closer now. And then they go, okay, what is it now? They go, oh, head and shoulders. And you go, all right, man, what are you talking about? And then they go, it's the close up now. And you go, all right, man, what are you talking about? And you do adjust according to the uh, frame size. Yes. Because if you start doing that in a close-up, no one's going to see you. And that's where the, the Michael Bain came bit comes into it. And I, I call that performance technique. Yes, you then we're that getting into the technique. Acting. acting technique is creating the thoughts of the character. Performance technique is making sure that everything can be seen and heard. You know, in, on stage, the performance technique is making sure that the people can see what you're doing and they can hear you at the back. Right, well, I think that's a really important element in yeah. both of those because, as you said, acting technique, performance technique, because there is that yeah. huge part to consider because you could be doing the greatest performance ever as it would be perceived on stage, but if you're doing it for the close-up of a TV, of a film or TV camera, they're just going to think you're a bit of a knob. Exactly. I think you get a lot of those courses, that, you know, I won't mention any, but masterclass with this actor and masterclass with that actor, and you look at them, they're not really acting classes their performance technique classes which of course you do need yeah but but that like you were using the analogy of the icing on the cake that's the icing on the cake you first of all the real acting technique is learning how to bake the cake actually create the character and and create the inner life of the character and their world i remember absolutely i mean, it's but you get so many contradictions and all this thing i remember one time i think it was um billy Connolly years ago and it was about working with Judy Dench. And he and he, he said, he said, Oh, she's absolutely fantastic. She's just exactly the same each time. And it's just gets you each time and oh, just unbelievable, just so brilliant. And then I had someone talking about Johnny Depp, and they were saying, Oh, I'm working with Johnny, it's amazing. He does something different every time. It's so incredible. And it's sometimes that's great, sometimes that's great. You know, it's uh, like it, you know, as long as there's some element of <laughs> It's just got some truth in there. Yeah. You know, who knows? But also, just to completely throw the cat amongst the pigeons here, I remember the first, so I did this hospital show and there's an ER spin-off. It was Presidio Med and it was Chris Chulak and John Wells, all those big producers back in the day. And I was I was all green and wet behind the ears. And I, I, mean, I was thinking about all my methods of screen acting that I'd learned by Patrick Tucker. And and I was sitting there and one day they go, we were filming and he goes, um, he goes, uh, all right, we're going to do two, two cameras on this one. We're going to do the wide and the close-up at the same time. And I went... This is awful. And I went up to Chris and I said, uh, Chris, uh, just to be honest about this, um, so, uh, you know, when it's a medium uh, shot, you do a bit more, and then the close-up, you, you know, you do that bit less thing. And what, what should I do? Because if it's medium and... Oh, so I don't, I'm in a bit of a pickle. What do you think? He goes, Oh, just do what's in your heart, man. Just do what's in your heart. And I went, All right, Chris, I'll just do what's in my heart. Generic <laughs> advice. Just do, 
<laughs> but you know what? It kind of put paid to it as well because I just thought, oh, sod it. You know, don't overthink the performance stuff. Don't forget, you've got to find the first and foremost thing really is to some degree, you know, the acting. Anyway, there's lots of blurry, weird areas and the whole thing is the point I guess I'm trying to make. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, you just got to try and figure your way through the whole thing in those yeah, given but, times. But make a distinction between acting technique and performing technique. Yeah, it's a, that, it's a very good way of, 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 of putting it, yeah. Yeah. Or just do what's in your heart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, well, on that, what, um, obviously that was some advice which is good to a certain I don't think there was any, all of that was just like, by the way, or he, was, he, much sex, yeah, much sex that he just wanted to shut you up, yeah. What, well, what is the best piece of advice you, you've ever been given? It can in, be acting. It can be in life. Bed. Are we doing the the, the proverb? Wherever you want to go, for. Uh, <laughs> left of it. Left of it. Thank you. Well, give me some context. Give me, give me a little bit. Oh, that's it. Um, <laughs> well, okay. Acting advice. What's the best acting advice you've ever been given? What comes? Well, what spending two years with him? Spending two years with him. I can't really put it in a nutshell. Yeah. Um, no. Do you know what? Um, all the all the um. What about attending? There's something that, that you told me that you used that I shared with you. Going to auditions, that finding the measure, because you were you're really good at auditioning, aren't you? You're good at yeah. You're good at charming the room. That is that right to say? You're um, at, like, no, it's true, especially the American room. No, I. It's the first thing that came to mind actually was having. You know, once you've obviously learned all these amazing things about how to act and all that sort of stuff and try and be a decent human being in life, et cetera, et cetera. What you will find yourself obviously doing at times is going, oh, my God, you know, it's been three months. I need to get a job. Money's getting low. You know, I need to get some money. Oh, God, I want to get that house. You know, everybody else, the get, get, get. And good old Wayne Dyer. I was sitting there driving down the PCH in uh, Los Angeles years ago. It, it, I remember, it was like 2006. And um, and I was going, I hadn't worked for a few months. And I was, it was starting to creep. And I was thinking, oh, God, shit, I need to get a job. I need to get some money. Bloody house prices are going up. I've got to get a house. Blah, blah, blah. And then he said this, he, that was my general state of mind at that point. And I was listening to one of his brilliant tapes. And somebody came up and he said, instead of at times when you find yourself thinking, what do you want to get in life? Instead of that, think about what you want to give in life. Because when, first of all, get, get, get is kind of like akin to a three-year-old. Give me this, give me that. I want that. I want this. Give me that. Give me that. You know, it's very sort of low sort of vibe sort of thinking. And it's all, and it also, it's also um, embodied sort of scarcity. Because you're like, I mean, you're coming from this scarce, this place of scarcity, because you need to get something, you need to get something, you need to get something. And he said, if you reframe it in your mind as to what it is you want to give, then you're coming from a place of abundance and givingness, right? And I sat there and I thought, well, well I'm just a bloody actor. What have I got to give? And oh, that's a nonsense, not really. And then I thought, well, no, hang on a minute. No, acting. No, there is something in there. And and in my mind, I framed it as I what I'm trying to give is my services i'm trying to give my services as an actor in order to help somebody else fulfill their vision whether it be a producer or a director of a network and that's it i'm just doing my little bit to help somebody else fulfill their vision okay so i want to give my services as an actor in order to do that and along the way perhaps entertain people uh raise a bit of consciousness if there's if the material's good and and that's what i want to give because i've learned how to do it i'm half decent 
Why not? And then you're coming from this place of abundance. And then the universe is sitting there and goes, hang on a minute, someone down there trying to give something. Oh, give him a hand. As opposed to, oh, look at that selfish little twat trying to get, 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 get. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah and that yeah. reframing or that moment, I do remember it specifically, just God, that helped me enormously because uh, then suddenly things start happening. Then, then you're getting into all your energetic sort of vibes and, you know, all that stuff. But it's freedom, actually. It is. It's, it makes me think of something that the, uh, the Shankracharya from India said. He said that if only people could understand that serving oneself is bondage and serving others is freedom, mm. they might be happy. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And that was actually a brilliant moment. For me, because it it almost sort of takes yeah, you know, just takes the weight of it off. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's just like you know what I just want to give something here. You know, I mean, what do you? What's life all about? I don't know. What do you do? What's the point of it? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Well, if we're here and we can't really work out why the hell we're here in the first place, we might as well try and help other people's lives. And if you can just frame it in a certain way, like I just want to give the thing that I'm sort of all right at doing to help somebody else fulfill their thing. Great, absolutely. And you think about the effect that that has if you go into a casting or an audition. That if the mindset, you know, could be, please give me the job. I need the job. Uh, I need it for whatever reasons I need it. Please give me, give me, give me. You have the power to give it to me. You must give it to me. And then you're going to get nervous because oh. you've got something you're attached to. Yeah. Whereas if you can change the psychology to understand that you're there to offer a service as an actor, you've got unique qualities. You know, there's only one you. And you've got unique qualities. And really, the process is just seeing, do those qualities match up with the part that they're looking for? And so you're going in and you're offering a service. Yeah. Then all the fear goes away. And then you're able to act freely, you know, and as long as you can not get attached to the result, which is getting the part, which, as we've discussed in other podcast episodes here, that really to do that perfectly, you would need to be some kind of a Zen master. Um, but we just do the best we can with the knowledge we've got, you know? Yeah, listen, if you've got a moment where you can enjoy a bit of acting, just enjoy the bit of acting. If that happens to be in front of a casting director or producer, I remember my, my first manager in LA years ago, like 20 years ago, he, um, I, I'd gone in, I think I've got my knickers in a twist in, a, in an audition and, uh, you know, oh, I messed it up, blah, blah, blah. And he, he, he said to me, after, he said, I mean, Paul, let's, let's be honest. Right? The chances are it's going to be the only time you're ever going to do the scene because you, you're probably not going to get the part. You might get the part, but the chances are you're not going to get the part. So you might as well just enjoy it while you're doing it, while you got a chance to do it. And although that sounds sort of negative and self-defeating, it actually sort of releases you. You think, well, to reframe it slightly, you think it might be the only time I get to enjoy the scene. And I remember going in for, um, what was that, Six Foot Under, Remember that show? Yeah, um, yeah. Or show, brilliant yeah. show in the 2000s. And I remember going in to audition for that one time, and I literally just walked in and went, this scene is so fantastic. This is such a brilliant scene to do. Thanks so much. And they were like, yeah, sure, man. And we did the scene. I was like, oh, that was great. I didn't get a part. Who cares? You know? Well, that's it. That's I just, it was a genuine enjoyment. That's, you know? that, that's what we call playing the match, not the tournament. Playing the match is going to the audition and just going with the purpose. I want to enjoy the audition. Playing the tournament is, you know, I I want a heart shaped swimming pool in the Hollywood Hills. Well, this is it, and <laughs> and 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 again, it so much comes down to the presence. 
thing. Oh, he's got great presence. Well, it means so much, that thing, because to be present and to play the match, not, no, what was it? Would you say not play the match, match, not the tournament? tournament. Yeah. Yeah. Because you walk in there. I mean, literally, in these shows, you can walk in and go, oh, my God, if I get this part and it runs for five, six years, uh, I could do this, I could do that, I could buy a house, I wouldn't have to work for a long time afterwards. There's so much you can put onto it as a thing, you know, and how much, how massive it could be in your life. Oh, you know, you could win the lottery next day, you know, who knows, whatever, anything could happen. But in that given moment, the only thing that will create anything interesting in life on a creative level, as far as I can see, is people being present. Whether you're a Keith Richards on stage playing Start Me Up for the 6,000th millionth time, but still making it as brilliant as it ever was, because he still just enjoys playing the damn thing. Or walking into an audition for perhaps the one and only time you make say those words. Yeah, gotta just enjoy the moment for what it is, you know? It's just it's just this thing. And it's the only time anything is there's nothing particularly interesting really about us as individuals. It's just when we usually get out of the way of ourselves that something interesting comes through. You know, when you get in the moment, when you get in the flow state, in the zone, you know, all that stuff is when you're not really thinking about stuff. And the one thing I've always thought, the less I think, the better it is because my thoughts are usually a disaster, you know, but when I get the thoughts out of the way and I just let stuff come in, whether that's through a walk in the woods or sitting, you know, const- you know, working on something, acting for two years, da 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 um, you know, that's that's when interesting thing happens. But you've got to get yourself out of the room, yeah. you know? Well, that's surrender, isn't it? It's allowing yourself. I mean, Stanislavski's thing was through conscious technique, we pave the way to subconscious creativity. There you go, exactly. Um, so it's the conscious technique is doing the work, but then there's a, there's a bridge between it being conscious technique and it turning into subconscious creativity, and that's where you let go and you surrender and you let it happen and you get out of the way. Right, but that's where sitting with you for two years got me anywhere near the idea of being able to do that on a personal level or on an acting level, because you have to be able to observe the stuff in your head, which is going to stop you from doing that because everything's so important because you think you're this on an unconscious level. So you've got to be that in order to, again, going back to what we were saying earlier, get the approval, belonging, et cetera. It's, it's getting to the bottom of, you know, the psychology the, of your brain, everything that you ever taught me <clears throat> that gives you a fighting chance to get yourself um, into any kind of position where you can just find yourself letting go and enjoying the moment. And it sounds so simple, but when you're doing it with 15 cameras in your face or 500 people on stage in front of you, you've got, you've got to worked out, you know, have that conscious technique to get unconscious, to get, uh, how did you put it? Uh, subconscious creativity. Yeah. So it's a, um, Oh, it's like this it's such a frustrating thing, isn't it? Because it's the biggest process, thing and it's the easiest thing. In that mm. process of like working out what's getting in the way of you and how did that idea get into your head in the first place that you're yeah. not good enough or whatever. The work that, that when we do that on the course and we look at that in the course, that work that you're doing on yourself, you're actually at the same time understanding what a real character is made of. Well, exactly. Yes, that's the other thing, isn't it? Whilst you're whilst you're digging around, getting to the bottom of your own psychology, you are actually seeing the most hilarious psychology character sort of unfurl in front of him, like, oh my god, 
Yeah. <laughs> Look at that guy. He's ridiculous. He's hilarious. He's tragic. Whatever the hell. There you've got but, yeah. a, a real model of what a character is because you can see how those past experiences created those purposes, created those experiences, yeah. and how it all relates together. The causal thinking, the tree going round. Exactly. Mm. Yeah. See, I remember my homework, love. You know what I used to do? I used to do these classes for three hours on down his, when you're in Streatham. Streatham yeah. And I was in East London at the moment. I had this old Ford Escort. I used to drive down there, hours of traffic, God knows what. And then sitting there, and I'd be scribbling away with all my notes. And then I would go home that night, and I'd have my proper notebook. I've still got them. And then I would transcribe all my scrawls into full-blown writing, like, and absolutely making sure I'd understood every little bit of it. And just and just do that for hours that night, just to be like, okay, those are the scrolls. That's it written down. Yes, I do understand. Um, oh, now there's the exercises that you'd have have be doing. Um, that's the best way to do it. That's what we encourage people who take the course to when they're going through the when they're watching the videos of the various classes is to take written notes as they go along, and they can pause, you know, pause the recording yeah. and take the written mm-hmm. notes, or they can rewind it and take the written note but then to type them up or to, as in your case to write them up in nicely in your acting sort of notebook and then you know the thing is when you're writing it down and then you're writing it down again you're thinking about it but exactly it's sort of you're, yeah you're, that's how it goes in it yeah. goes then from being in your short-term memory into your long-term memory and it becomes knowledge then going back to the advice thing that you're asking jordan yeah. one of the other um chestnuts that you gave me over the years was the um contemplate thing uh-huh. whereby it's like okay i've got my new role i've got my new show uh, i've got the script right i'm going to work really hard because that's what you got to do and you have got to make that cake and i'm going to sit down for eight hours today and do you know nobody interrupt me or eight hours work and the next day i'll do eight hours and it's just it's rubbish just I mean, initially, you might have to sort of sit yourself down just to sort of, you know, get pen on paper and get the ball rolling. But the, 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 the I always found, I remember you, you know, suggesting this, was just, it's just the idea of contemplation, whether you're sitting on the tube, whether you're driving the car, whether you're... I mean, that's why, for me, walking was always the best thing. Yeah. Because um, walking is, you know, from a meditative place, that's the point you're most connected to Earth in terms of pace yeah. and what have you. And then just to have those have those thoughts and just to gently contemplate them, just sort of in, in moments. So it's, it just just so it's it, it, you know, it's not a big forced moment of okay, this will be when I get all the results. You know, um, I think Johnny Cash said that he says if I sat down, if I sit down and try and write a hit song, you know, if I sit at my desk and nothing's going to happen, but if I go for a walk in the woods, I give myself a fighting chance of coming up with something. You know, right. mm. um, that's it. That's that's the artist's psychological action. I contemplate. It is. I contemplate. Mull it over. You know, <laughs> like let it think. It's frequent repetitive thinking. It's coming back to. It. It's a bit like if you're doing uh, an exam. You know, you, you, you know, cramming on the night before yeah, exactly. the paper yeah, exactly. is, isn't a very good recipe. But if you, you know, for the last six months you've been giving it a little thought every day, and you've just been like, like just contemplating it, yeah, then everything sticks. It just starts popping in there. Can I tell you the, the other things for me, technique-wise, um, that really, really helps me come up with uh, put some flesh on the bones of the character, and in terms of the affinities and the pictures and the like. So I, I, I'm a big music appreciator, like many people. And um, in the days of the the 
the iPod, I still have my iPod actually, with you know, with its like 7,346 songs and all the rest of it. So I would do this, uh, and I've got a very eclectic sort of taste, big range, you know, from classical to motorhead to whatever it might be and everything in between. So what I would do, I would go for a walk, I'd stick my iPod on shuffle. And I, when I was getting the get, first getting a character together, and I was getting an idea of him, I would put the iPod on, and then let's say the Beatles comes on. And this is an American guy. He's like, oh, yeah, then Beatles. I guess they came up with some nice nice tunes. They were those English guys. Yeah, they're okay. And then um, some of my weird West African music comes on. And the guy's, God damn it, what's this bullshit? No one listens to this. Rubbish. What the hell is that? And you find yourself reacting to the music in the character you're starting to get together and thus find out more about the character. And I had the most awful experience once. So... Springsteen, when I was doing the Arrow character, this like real sort of blue collar, working class cop kind of dude, and when I was doing all this stuff for that uh, on my mix in my iPod or whatever, Springsteen came up. I was like, oh yeah, born in the USA, yeah, that's my man. And I was like, Bruce is his hero, right? So then I went on to whatever it was, Spotify or Pandora or whatever it was, and and you put in Springsteen, but as a shuffle, right? As a as a you know when they play other types of music, you know, if you like Springsteen, maybe you like this. And then Bob Seger came up, and it's all these Bob Seger tunes come up. And Lance, my character's going like, oh, my God, Seger, oh, Bob Seger, he's my man. And in my mind, I'm going, oh, I can't stand Bob Seger. Now I've got to listen to Bob Seger for the next six years. And I had to listen to Bob Seger songs for six years. Can't bear them myself, but it was Lance's music. And then with each song, you know how a song comes up, your memories come up with it. I would just then put memories to the song. Oh, yeah. this is the song when, oh, Morning is Broken, when Laurel was born, and Diana put Morning is Broken on when we came in, the piano on the Cat Stevens one, and, and I just remember looking to us. So every time, and then I would create a mixtape of all the last songs. I'd have like 60, 50 songs. Yeah. And then when I had scenes coming up, I'd go out, put the music on, and they'd be like, oh, God, Tidy Dancer. Ah, oh. Still makes me feel a bit verklempt when I think about the memories I put to that song. No, I can see it. Yeah, with her, yeah. With, with that tune. And, you know, that, it always was a, I know it's a bit of a sidebar no, sort of it's technique. it's a really good technique because it really, really because helped in, me. In music, it's in those sounds. It's so evocative. There are, yeah, exactly. There's mm -hmm. vibrations in there, aren't they? Yeah. And there, you know, each song is so unique. You know, really good music touches emotions that sometimes you don't even know you have. Yeah, and then when you apply them to a character, and it really helps inspire pictures and stuff to, to the to the uh, for the character. Yeah, I encourage actors to sort of find the character's theme tune, and then what you then what, just by playing it, it, it activates all that all those impressions. Yeah, uh, when you're doing it, Lance's theme tune was the live version of Thunder Road. Oh, I don't know. That <laughs> oh my god, that is an amazing tune. It's, it listen to the, the artist Bruce Springsteen. Oh, I see. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, yeah, it's just the piano. It's, it's, ugh. Yeah. Anyway, so um, yeah, music helps. If you're interested in studying the spiritual psychology of acting for yourself, there's a free online intro seminar taking place on Saturday, the twenty-second of April. 6.30pm to 8.30pm UK time. 
It's a great introduction to what the course has to offer, so don't delay. Book your place by heading to the website at www.spiritualpsychologyofacting.com. The link is in the description of this podcast. Now, back to our chat with Paul. Do you have any addition experiences, Paul, throughout your career that are particularly memorable? I mean, it could be positive, it could be an addition that you absolutely aced and it took your career to the next level, or it could even be one that you felt was a complete disaster and given some time you can look back and laugh on. Now, what first comes to mind? Well, I mean, you know, auditions are such a sort of a weird space. I remember when we were doing, studying, when I was studying with you um, last century, <laughs> in the god old days uh, before there were telephones um the um, it, it was this whole thing you know this is acting this is acting this is acting this is acting and then there, of course there's auditions which to me are just you know this strange phenomena and in terms of the experiences i've had in auditions i mean who's to say in terms of acting and, and goodness knows what but i remember thinking hang on how do you reconcile um all this acting technique this newfound acting technique with the complete nonsense of an audition and i read that book you remember that book audition <laughs> funnily enough uh, michael shirtluff no. he was a i thought i'd given it to you um it was broadway casting director he was a new york casting director it might not have been broadway it might have been film as well i can't remember but anyway um his whole thing was just sort of talking about how ridiculous auditions are and really how far removed they are from what you would actually how you would actually approach real acting in in the moment of the play or the or the film and what i found over the years is that those few moments that you've got with the producers or the casting person or the director in front of you you know, it's kind of precious and you, you, you've got to do that thing where you're not putting any um, attachment to it. As we talked about earlier, it's like, oh, my God, if I get this part, I can get to buy a new house. You've got to get into the whole, I'm just here to enjoy the acting and such like. But the one, a couple of the things I found over the, the this is a bit of a, a naughty sort of secret. When I first got to L.A., and I was having meetings and auditions with people. I was, I didn't expect to be in LA. I was genuinely fascinated by just being in LA because I have a bit of an observer's eye with the world and its ways and its people and such. And I would be sat in these meetings with these sort of studio people. And I'd be like, so they'd be like, so Paul, it's great to meet you. How are you? I was like, yeah, I'm all right. I'm sorry. Can I, is that Beverly Hills outside the window? Is that when it says Beverly Hills, is that actually Beverly Hills, it doesn't look very hilly. I don't know. And they were like, hmm, sorry? And I said, there. And I said, well, how long have you been here? Uh, well, do you know what? I've only just got here. And I was genuinely curious. And I would say, you know, I'd just ask, What's it, what is it like in LA? Because, it, it, you know, you hear all these stories, oh, LA's awful, and everybody's shouting. What's your experience? And then I would get these callbacks saying, we love Paul. We want to bring him in for blah, blah, blah. And I'd be thinking, well, what did I do? Oh, and I realized after a while, I just got them to talk about themselves. And as demonstrated by me right here, right now, people love to talk about themselves. <laughs> okay. Would you do us a favor and do a podcast? Oh, sure I will. <laughs> you know, is it about me? Uh, so so I did, I, I kind of honed it on that. And, and oh, 
And I sort of would go into meetings and even in auditions and turn it around. And when people, it's how you make people feel. If they feel people feel pretty good when they're talking about themselves, that was a bit of a naughty one. Um, I would say in to a degree, but it's just a thing. It's just how to create a good feeling about you. The other one, when you sit down and they say, so Paul, have you got any questions about the part? They do not want to hear you say, yes, I have lots of questions. They don't want to hear that because they got, you know, 10 other guys before or after you. So my stock um, response to that would be like, do you know what? If it goes any further, I'll have a million questions. But for now, do you, do you just want to get on with it? And they go, oh, we love this guy already. <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. that, would always, that would always be. <laughs> and then you are ready for that, for that take. But I would never be off script. Okay, so when you get a lot of actors that walk in and they're off script and they're so ready that this is the moment they're going to nail the part, I would never, ever, I've never been off script for anything, even right through the studio test, network test, anything. Because... A, if you do forget the lines, you are completely screwed because this is your only chance in the audition to do it. Um, but B, I kind of always wanted to show there was still a bit more to come. I, I just wanted to look. It's about how relaxed you appear to be as a person. Do you know what I mean? And mm. to walk, and it's not being lifted to walk in and just be like, oh, he's still got the script. And, but to give a really, and I'm, I barely would look at it, but I just have it there. And it just looks like someone who's not trying too hard, in a sense, who's just enjoying it. And in case you might need the script, he'll look at it. And that may have happened. But it just creates an air of just sort of, I don't know, freedom or something. Do you know what I mean? It's not crucial that you could just, that you can be a person who's comfortable with that. When you do the take and they say, that was great, but could you do it in a um, Polish accent now? And you don't sit there and you go, why the hell would I do it in a Polish accent now? You just go, mm-hmm. I'll do it in a Polish accent. That's not a problem. I'd love to do that. It'd be great. And then you just do it in a Polish accent. And that's it. And so you listen to everything they say. You make a little joke as you come in. You try and turn the conversation on to them. You do the questions, the questions line. You respond 100% to every note. You just listen to every word they're saying, everything they're saying to you and everything in the scene. And you walk out and you say, thanks very much. That was great. Cheers. Your one. Oh my God. This is the big one. Walking into a meeting, walking into an audition. John's one. I'm going to be friendly without being ingratiating. And I'm going to be confident without being arrogant. And then you walk in, you go, Hi. How are you doing? All right. Is that Beverly Hills outside the window? And that's it. Yeah, that's a good. And that's finally the measure, isn't it, between those two things? Because nothing worse, you know, if you want to, if you want them to hate you, go in there desperately wanting to be liked. And if you also want them to hate you, go in there with a big ego and thrusting around as if you're in the place. Yeah, yeah. It's just, again, it's just being present. You know, it's just being, yeah. it's just being present. I will say though that since COVID and now it's all self tapes, all that's out the window. Yeah. <laughs> There's no room so for that. You can't no, just yeah. go in and charm the room. No, no, it's well, you know, this world of self tapes that is now the reality, and that's never going to yeah. go back because casting directors know that they don't have to hire a studio now. They don't have to wait yeah. for a bunch of actors to be late. They're just getting, they're just opening up emails. They're seeing all these tapes, and basically, a director friend of mine I was talking about this with. She was she was casting for a show, and and she said, "Yeah, it's kind of crazy. You know, you get fifteen tapes come in, 
And uh, you could give it to any one of them, really. They're all great actors. But it, for me, I think that little bit of that little moment in the room where you make a little connection, to be, if I'm honest, I think that's where I kind of got a lot of my parts. And then when I turned up and I did a good job, and then those people went on to do another show, they were like, oh, Paul's good to work with. Let's get him back in. Because don't forget, a massive part of it, you know, you can talk about the acting technique, you can talk about performance technique, you can talk about all these things. But if you're a complete fucking knob, they do not want to go near you. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. And you just got to turn up and just like half the audition is them going, you know what, it'll be all right to sit, stand around within the rain at three o'clock in the morning. Well, exactly. Yeah. So they're, yeah. they're, they're also casting someone they've got to spend time with. Yeah. 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 Literally, you're casting someone you've got to spend fucking 15 hours a day with, potentially, you know, over like, an eight day shooting period. I mean, you know, yeah. slight exaggeration, but not really. I, I, heard, I heard George Clooney talk about when he produces or directs a film he always when he's taking like the other producers out for dinner he's always it's not to chat to them it's always to see how they react to the the waiting staff and if they're rude to them he's like well i can't work with this person it's literally just to see is this person going to be friendly are they going to respect you know everyone else on set is everyone going to be able to do their job around this person and like you like we've said in the meditation episode john the that whole trickle down system isn't it it's getting the right people for the right job that's going to infuse that the whole production with that level of consciousness that's going to that people are going to want to you know be a part of they're going to they're going to want to flock to whether that's as a somebody actually in the production or as a spectator as part of the audience yeah yeah i mean when you're on set and you know the number one walks on you know the star or whatever if he or she is just not a cool person and there's you know there's a lot of ego going on you feel the whole atmosphere change on set it's like oh shit hi mate how you doing all right yeah we're just gonna yeah okay all right <sighs> everyone's like going like that whereas if you know it's if you've just got a bunch of decent people that seem all right to stand around in the ring with at three o'clock in the morning because everyone's gone through that little the george test you know you get a nice vibe on on set and then I have a nice vibe. You get enjoyment, have enjoyment. You get good results. You get everybody being present. And you, you're all knackered. You're all soaking wet. But you're like, all right, mate, that was a laugh. I'll come back and do it again tomorrow. And that's it. But as soon as you get that stonking great ego coming on set, oh, it all goes out the window. You know, it becomes very difficult. So that's half of what people are wanting in audition you know, uh, in the audition process is as much as, are you all right? Are you an all right person? Will you pass the George Clooney waiter test? Yeah. You yeah. Know? So, uh, but yeah, the self tape thing has really kind of blown that now because everyone's sending in their sort of 47th take. Cause that's the other thing with the, when you're in the room, you get the chance to show you can do it first time, which is yeah. what you've got to be able to do on set. Yeah. Give or take, take or two, you know, whereas self tapes, everybody's sending in the 47th take. Um, and it looks amazing, and that's great. Uh, me too, you know. And um, in terms of whatever number take it might be, and there's no place to sort of connect. It's just the scene. But at the end of the day, it still comes down to only one person getting the part. It's probably all the more important as well that you do put yourself, your your, your actual natural self forward, rather than trying to go for what you think they're after. Because that's probably going to be the thing that stands out from all those other tapes. If everyone is a competent enough actor that they can get the job, which one is, you know, which one has the most charisma and presence, which one is the most present? Yeah, but it's it's sometimes difficult when 
Because what, what I would always do, I mean, this is how I, actually this is how I've always approached anything. I would always go in the room with everything I've prepared, whether it be for actually shooting something or an audition moment. And I've I know what I'm gonna do, but I'm dying for a director to just say, you know, that was great, but you want to try it, da 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 da. And then you're like, oh, and now you're in a fresh new space place and you try something new and then you go, oh, oh, well, that was fun. That was interesting. I wasn't expecting that. And that's what I miss in that self-tape process because when, if you're in the room, they go, that was great. Do you want to try it? Blah, blah, blah. Even if it is Polish, Swahili, whatever it might be, you go, all right, we'll give that a whirl then. And off you go and something new and spontaneous happens and and it's it's without too much thought. And sometimes, you know, that can be the best result that's yeah. uh yeah that's what you don't have in self you know self tape you don't have that moment where you can just swivel over to somewhere but so i i yeah they're, they're, they're tough these these self tape situations but it's it, you know what it is what it is it's not going back it's not going to change so you just got to keep you know going at it and um doing what feels feels right to you yeah well, I think we should wrap up now. This has been an amazing chat, Paul. Thank you so much for being our very first guest on on the podcast. Uh, Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Um, before you go, though, is there anything you want to plug? Is there anything that we should look out for? Anything, Any projects on the horizon that you'd like to talk about? Do you know what? One of the reasons I think I've had some modicum of success over the years in acting is because I've always had something else sort of going on at the same time for my sort of creative juices to get all sort of like um to get them going and you know over the years i've had photo exhibitions uh i've made a couple of documentary films um even if it's renovating a house just just something where you know you're 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 not staring at the acting phone and and you're doing this other thing which is just keeping you in an inspired good sort of you know vibe good space good state and so I always generally tend to have something going on on the side. And then you go, oh, the acting fan just went. Oh, oh, okay, great, lovely. Oh, all right, I'll be there in a second, thanks. The thing I'm doing at the moment, which I'm really enjoying, I've got this thing about borders. I've got this thing about maps I always have since I was a kid. And, and, and I've always found it a bit weird that we've got all these borders around the world and we sort of take them for granted, really. And what I'm constantly fascinated by is, well, sort of who... Who put all these borders there? Let's say the English-Scottish border. I mean, who put that there? When was it put there? And quite frankly, why is it there in terms of why do we need, why do we feel the need to sort of partition ourselves off? Is it increasing our chances of survival or increasing our chances of conflict? Should we be more at one or do we, you know, do we need our sense of belonging, our kennel, so to speak? So I basically um, shot a little promo last year on the English-Scottish border and I shopped it out in LA. I edited it in LA uh, last month, and I went. I shopped around, and I I have uh, found myself a production company who um, wants to get behind it, and uh, we're off to uh, shop that around the networks in the next few months in the in the US. And um, that is what I've been working on on the side, but rather enjoying it to be honest, I, because it, it, I get I like my photography, I like the getting on the road, I like you know speaking with people. And uh, and it's history, and it, and at the end of the day, a lot of it's sort of psychological because you know, as you were saying, it's like you know, the borders we create around us tell us a lot about the borders of our minds, really. You know how we how we see things. You know what you think about happens. Yeah, it's a great little trailer you made for that, and um, that you showed me the trailer for it, and it's a fascinating subject because I suppose it goes into like the physical land borders 
but also you know the, the psychological borders of boundaries and where do you know where do I end and you begin that kind of thing yeah you know, and, and uh, what is it that separates us now that's a that's a great topic for a documentary or a se- what would it be like a documentary series I know I want it as a as a, unlike it as a series I want it as a series you know six episodes ten episodes we'll see but I mean there's just so many I mean I'm doing a lot of research on it at the moment and this I mean, this, this, I mean with every, every board it tells a different story do you know right. what I mean and there's some very acrimonious stuff out there and there's well to be honest most of them are pretty acrimonious because it's all about no I want that I want that. I want that. That's my land. That's oi, oh, that's my land. Oi, stop it. Go away. Bang, bang, bang. You know, there's so much conflict, yeah. so much drama. Um, and then there's a few beautiful ones as well. My my sort of my favorite one is the most what I would call the most boring border in the world, which I think is Spain and Portugal, because they've had that border since like 1272 or something, and they've never had a single conflict. Ooh. They're just like, yeah, that's fine, just keep going. It's not not the most interesting border to go and visit, but quite fascinating in of itself. Um, well, maybe you could learn the most from, most from that one. It's, it's the least. Well, exactly. Maybe, there, maybe there's there is a there. to learn from it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, yeah, that's what I've been working on, and I just did a few episodes of TV out in the states. I just did, I did Magnum, an episode of Magnum, which was hilarious, and then another show, um, the company you keep, which is a new ABC show. Which I just uh, was over there doing. So, and when are they? For, when, when when we'll be able to see them? To be honest, I think it's around now. To be honest, oh, is it? I think in the states. Yeah, I right. think they're out about now. I did them in uh, in, in December and January. So. Right. And, so yeah, all good fun. And any, what would be your parting advice to actors who are? Well, it's funny to say that, Johnny Boy. I would say that all actors out there should partake in the John Osborne Hughes spiritual <laughs> psychology of acting. I wasn't it's a wonderful. For that. Oh, well, class, which you too could love to act. We'll clip that up. Services to the world. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> oh, that's well, that would be your serious, no, that, serious no. bit of advice to actors. If I was an actor in London, I'm, well, you've seen the actors of people I've sent to you over the years. Yeah. You know, no, I'm always, people, oh, I want to start acting, like, just check out this guy. Yeah, no, 100%. No, I'm not just blowing smoke up your bum. Oh, that felt good. Stop it. No, I um no, it's 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 the real deal. It's the real deal because it is you've got to get to the bottom of your psychology to understand what will what in your psychology will get in the way of being able to honestly and truthfully portray another one. You you've got to you've got to understand what that is in your mind that will stop you from doing that. And if you don't understand that, you're not gonna be able to do a good job acting somebody else's life, you know. So um, start with yourself, look at yourself, as you said, great example of a character. Oh, my God, how did that guy happen? Well, you know, that guy happened. So um, clear it all out, get, you know, clear out all the, uh, all the nonsense, calm the waters, and then just enjoy the process of creating another one. And ladies and gentlemen, we have the technology. We will rebuild you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, you've been a fantastic... Yes, Paul. Don't you hug me. Oh, come on. Yeah, love. <laughs> it's been great. Thank it's been you so much for being our first. I'm sending yes, a digital you? hug to you. Digital hugs, digital oh, hugs. Is good. Bathed in your beautiful Livingston sunshine. There you are. <laughs> very nice. Thanks very much. This is great. You've been listening to the Spiritual Psychology of Acting podcast. Thank you so much again to Paul for his time and generosity with us. You're a great first guest. We really do appreciate that. 
And thank you to you, the listener, for sticking with us all the way to the very end of the episode. Hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on future episodes and all the other great guests we've got lined up. We hope you'll join us next week, but for now, take care. Thank you to Omid16b for the use of his music in this podcast. The track is called Love and is available on all streaming platforms.